MNK Talk YA now presents A Darker Shade of Magic, Part 2, from the Shades of Magic Trilogy by B.E. Schwab. Welcome back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished A Darker Shade of Magic, which is the first book in the Shades of Magic trilogy. For some reason, I still am struggling with the name of the trilogy. I had to write that down. <laughs> Shades of Magic Shades by V.E. Schwab. Yes. So. And yeah, and we read the whole thing. We finished it. Yeah, I... What do you... What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts right now? What are you thinking? Okay. Well, my first thought was I really, I kind of really liked the Danes twins as villains. Mm-hmm. And so I was really kind of bummed out, oddly, at the end when they both were just vanquished. And yeah. I was just like, who's going to be the villain now? And it was like kind of easy. Not like easy, easy, but like it was basically one interaction. And he. Yeah, with each of them. Yeah. I, I also felt like even though, like, we got rid of the black stone, which I guess was, like, the purpose right now, I didn't feel like, I feel like I have all these questions still about everyone's background and, like, half the characters, secondary characters are dead or more than half. Like, all the second, besides Kel and um, Lila and Rai, basically everyone else is dead, I feel like. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like, okay, I, I almost felt like this book just could have been a standalone book, you know, because yeah. it's like, if she had filled in some of the questions, you know, because like the stone's dead, the magic's vanquished. If it was a standalone book, I'd be really disappointed, though, because I'm a, I'm still expecting answers to some of this background stuff. And if we don't get it at all in the trilogy, then I'm going to say trilogy fail, but I assume we will. <laughs> trilogy fail. <laughs> I'm really upset about it. I wanted more background. I did too, especially since... All right, two things. I really want to know Kel's background. I want to know where he came from, who his parents were. Why his memory was erased. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I really want to know Lila's backstory now because we found out that she had an eye carved out of her head. And I think she's probably Antari. Was that that your thought too? Yeah, that it was probably an all-black eye and someone might have been like protecting her or something. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the end when she's able to travel, like, without the stone. Because at first I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll buy that this Vitari stone allowed her to travel when previously we established that only Antari could travel between worlds. But then when she did it herself, I was like, oh, hands down, she's Antari for sure. Yeah, although I'm still kind of confused because even traveling for the Antari, you have to, like, cut your hand and do all this, like, you know, like... Oh, that's true, yeah. But, but I mean, she was still with him... I don't know. So, like, I, I, I do. I have a lot of questions. I wonder if she's simply Antari or if it's, like, more complicated than that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it almost has to be because even Tyrion, the magic teacher, yeah. mm-hmm. um, he was the one who was like, there's magic inside her and it feels a little bit different. Yeah. So I'm curious if she's, like, a new breed of magician. Or if it's just because of being in Grey London. For so long or something. But yeah, no, I agree. I'm definitely, 
intrigued by that. And I'm also kind of curious, like, so now she's just in Red London where she only knows the princes and, like, literally nothing else. And she's just going to, like, chill and... Find a pirate ship. Find a pirate ship. I mean, good for her, but... I feel like that's Lila, though. I guess there's nothing to go back to. Yeah, but but I guess I just expected Kel to, like, help her out more or, like, not to be like, okay, well, see ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least, like, stay in touch or... Well, I guess they couldn't because they never told the king and queen that she was from Grey London. So, you know, to keep her around... Yeah, so, but he's not allowed to have any friends. Like, I mean, like, I get that they couldn't tell the truth, but I just feel like there's something in between, like, I smuggled her in from Grey London and bye! I'll never see you again. <laughs> have a nice life. <laughs> But I also feel like that's kind of like Lila because she doesn't like to have ties to anyone and she doesn't like people owing her and she doesn't like... That's true. You know, like, she doesn't like to create ties, it seems. Although I am... I forget the girl's name now. The one who sold her the um, costume. But, yeah. I'm curious to see, since she, like, feels like she still owes her Mm -hmm. and, and Kel, like, obviously knew who she was, too, and... She was mentioned, so I'm kind of curious how she'll come back into the trilogy later. Kala or Lila? Yeah. Kala, yeah. 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 Well, both of them, because I, I mean, we still have two more books left, so I'm ho- I'm hoping that Lila does not just, like, fall off the end of the earth and disappears into Red London and we never see her again. No, I hope we see her on a pirate ship next book. Ooh. Yeah, me too. That would be actually really awesome. Oh, I'm curious to know if there's going to be, like, a big time gap between books or... yeah. Yeah, because some of the books we've read have really big time gaps. I also, this is like a really random thing, but the time between the different dimensions is the same, right? It's not like you go to white, you know how in some stories, sci-fi type stuff, if you're like in a different world, then like time might pass a lot faster, a lot slower in your own world. Mm -hmm. But that's not an issue here, right? I don't think so. Because I think like when the king sends Cal on all these missions, you know, it seems like he expects him back at a reasonable amount of time and it seems like which is also kind of funny like it's like can't you just like give him the day like how important is it for for some of these messages that you hear back immediately (laughs) i know well i think it's almost it's more just like they keep such control tabs on it yeah they keep on a really short leash because even like that in the first trip that he was on when he found the stone and was detained like it didn't Mm -hmm. take long at all for them to be like missing wanted like they were, like, on that super fast. Yeah. They weren't like, oh, I assume he's he'll be, you know, like, I'm sure he's fine. It was, yeah, what's going on? Oh, he's no free time. <laughs> I know. Um, and also, he implied or said, I forget, but so it was Rye who, like, requested that he get adopted into the family. Was that kind of the story that, mm. your impression you got? Yes. Because they said, yeah, well, he said something like, they were sending him to Tyran a lot to be trained, and then Rye mm-hmm. was, like, throwing a fit and insisted that he be incorporated into the family, and that's kind yeah. of why they started treating him more like a son, but there's definitely something going on there, right? Yeah, there's some weird stuff. Because but he, he definitely feels the real brotherly connection to Rye, obviously, because he, uh, like, went all sorts of crazy to try to save his life. Yeah, and gave, did, like, a soul seal to, like, bind his life to his. 
Yeah. But there is something weird going on with, like, his relationship with the king and queen. Like, at the end, when she was like, where's our son? And Kel was, like, upset because it sounded like the way she said it, that she only had one. Mm-hmm. And he also gets into that little altercation at the beginning with Lila when he was telling her, like, I'm not a prince. I don't belong to, like, I belong to them. I'm not one of them and I'm more I'm like a possession and they only keep me around because I am valuable to them and I love when she like got in his face and she was like you were raising a palace and you had everything you <laughs> yeah. needed like don't come crying to me saying that you don't feel loved and so you don't have and so that you're unhappy yeah, you have you have a place where you belong even if you don't even if you want this other layer of love even if yeah. you want it to be more yeah oh <sighs> But I don't know. But I don't know because you you see him just like really bonding with Rye, and so I'm wondering like, did the king and queen intend for them to be close like that, or or does everyone just like is like is he adopted into the family and treated like a son just because they love Rye so much or something? Yeah, I love the backstory with um, when Rye was kidnapped when he was a kid. Yeah, and I think it's important that they did that because that the author did that because. It really makes you realize that Kel would give his life for his mm-hmm. brother. Because when he was trying to heal him and he slit his wrists because he didn't know the spell was already working and he thought he kept needing to use more blood and he was like willing to essentially drain all the blood out of his body to save his brother. Well, it's also interesting because he said, and it like alludes to the kind of ruler that Rai is going to be and also some of their differences, but he talked about how Rai forgave the people who kidnapped him. Yeah. And he's he was like, but I haven't. And I'm kind of curious to see right. if that group comes back around at any point as well in the series. Oh, that's a good question. The What were they called? The Shadows. Yep. Because it sounded to me like Kel went and killed them all. Oh, maybe. Because he was like, I told you that Rye forgave them. I never said I did. Or I just... I mean, I I see why you might think that, and I don't disagree. But when I read it, I just thought that meant that that's why he was, like, so vigilant still and so... Uh, That would be interesting if they made a comeback. Okay, I'm still confused by what actually happened in this book and who orchestrated (laughs) what, because... (laughs) Okay, so, like, Astrid gave Rai a necklace and was controlling him from the other dimension. She did that through Holland. That part I understood. That took me a minute, so <laughs> I'm glad you got that. Well, I it, was like, what? <laughs> it still took me a minute, but I eventually got there. What I don't understand is they sent the Black Rock to the other world. They, like, knew mm. that Kel had it. They gave it to Kel. So, like, I don't get... I was confused about that, yeah. too. And I thought about it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so did you and make sense of it? Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think I did. This might be completely wrong, but this is what I think. So... I think that the Danes knew that the stone was in two pieces. Mm -hmm. And I think the original plan was, I think Athos had one half and the other half was missing. And I think that Astrid's plan was to get the second half of the stone, join them, and then once the stone was whole, have it somehow handed off to Cal to bring through to Red London. So that, because she says at, at one point, maybe your half of the stone isn't strong enough to do what I wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. So I think they wanted the stone complete and then they wanted Kel to bring it through Red London. 
to destroy Red London. To destroy Red London, and then Mm -hmm. it couldn't be traced back to Holland. And so I, because I was, that's what I was confused too, because I was like, wait, she wanted it to be in Red London. I was like, are they trying to get it back, or did they send it there, or are both things happening at once? Okay. And why do they have to kill Kel? Like, because she was like, you're proving to be more trouble than you're worth, and I was like, he did everything you wanted him to do. Yeah, okay. I still feel a little bit confused, but that makes Same some here. sense. And then I was confused about, like, why Holland was trying to kill him. Because I was just like, I don't understand what Cal ever did to you that you need him to die so badly. And then I realized he didn't want to kill Cal. He wanted to egg. He wanted to taunt Cal to the point where he would kill him because he wanted to die. Because he didn't want to be Athos' slave anymore. Because he was so over, yeah, his life of understandably yep. so that's the only thing that I could think of yeah well I mean I agree it had something to do with like framing Kel for ruining Red London but I just like I didn't get I feel like they just gave it to him and they were already hunting it back down I was like <laughs> either let him go and ruin Red London on his own or don't give it to him <laughs> yeah. I don't know and also but, like guess... the idea of the possession spell at first I was really irritated because Astrid was all of a sudden in Red London, and I was like, wait, 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 we said that only Antari could travel, and then I realized it was a possession spell, but even that just seems like, why are you doing this now? Like, why, I don't know, like, why wouldn't you have done this maybe years ago? Yeah, and also, they seem like so smart and cunning otherwise, it feels like having a lot of uncontrolled things happening at once is not the smartest way to, like, if I was going to take over another dimension... I would like. Can't wait to hear this. (laughs) Well, I just wouldn't have like four uncontrolled things going on at the exact same time. I would like, you know, get one piece of the puzzle into place and then hit the next. Like, it was all, I don't know. Brick by brick. It seemed a little, yeah. (laughs) Go a little more Kaz in your approach. Kaz style. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I I agree. And I was also kind of confused about the different kinds of magic. So. Athos could compel someone or like bind someone's soul so he could like control their minds or like give them Mm -hmm. commands that they had to follow, but they only had to follow them to the letter of the law, essentially. Yes. And then Astrid could, using like an object, control someone who was wearing that object or or she would like be their mind. Yeah, I think so. But how was she able to possess all of red london or not all but like she had the king and queen mind mind or brainwashed yeah and then that woman who touched the pendant was also brainwashed there was like a lot of brainwashing going on well it made sense when the whoever was touching the pendant i understood but yeah who how did the king and queen like get mind and all the guards yeah and even the guards who took cal and drugged him like that i was confused about when they took him out of Fletcher's shop, and then they were like, sorry about this, and then they, like, knocked him out. Yeah, and then Astrid could also shift her whole body and look like Lila later. I was like, there's a lot of different yeah. ways to, like, control or take over someone's life, and they all work differently, and I'm getting uh, twisted about what I is what. I was confused. And I feel like now I just don't know what to expect with the whole magic system, because I feel like anything's possible now, you know? Well, and also, now that there's a soul binding between Rai and Kel, does that mean either one of them has, like, is that just that their lives are tied? Or is there also some of this other kind of darker magic? Like, can Kel somehow 
compel Rye now or anything? I don't know. Ooh, like will they be able to control each other? Yeah. That's a good question. Or I wonder if Rye will get some of Kel's power now. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be more to it than like, if you die, I die. Maybe not, but. Well, he said something like, our pain is, like your pain yeah, is my pain. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's experiencing all, yeah. So I feel like if it extends as far as being able to feel each other's physical pain, I feel like your powers would transfer too. There's got to be a lot, yeah, transferring back and forth. Oh, and then this, the the Vitari power was like possessing people too, right? Yeah, but then also, that was also, like, kind of actually easy to defeat. Like, if all I had to do was say the word. <laughs> it seemed too easy. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it has, something has to come back to be the villain. Because now Holland is not even dead. He's just mostly dead. And he's... Gone did he for send, now. Did Kel send him to Black London? Yep. Okay. The other thing that didn't make sense was... Cal kept saying how he has to take the stone to Black London, and he was like, I can't just open the door and throw the rock in. Like, I have to take it myself, and once I do, there's no coming back, because nothing can come out of Black London. But then yeah. he just sent Holland's body with the stone through the door. Like, he opened the door and basically pushed Holland inside. But so because like, Holland was on Tari, he could go through. I think the thing was, uh, you could. it's not like a door where you can just, like, toss something through. I think, like, an Antari has to... Like, travel. Oh, that makes much more sense. At least that's what I, my impression. But yeah, I don't know what's going to happen to him while he's... Maybe Holland will come back. I kind of hope he does. I hope he does. I hope Holland comes back. I kind of hope that the twins come back. Because he said something at the end where he was like, magic fades, spells are broken. And that made me think that, oh, maybe the Danes really aren't dead. Maybe Holland will come back. Maybe Vitari will make another appearance. Because it seems like that spell was just, what did they say? It was just um, dispersed or whatever. Dispelled. It was dispelled. So I feel like, well, something has to come back and, like, be the new conflict. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. I feel like I'm complaining a lot. But really, it's just because I'm like, I just want to <laughs> understand better. <laughs> I know. I know. And, it's, and it is like, I'm reading it and I can think of nothing else. Like, I'm totally absorbed in yeah, it. Yeah, I am too. Which is awesome. And it's great because it's like, if I think if a book is really well re- well done and and interesting enough, you're willing to like let things you don't understand slide mm-hmm. more, and like you're willing to forgive more. And there's there's also a lot of like clever things too. Like I love how um, English is like the no nobility language, <laughs> and so Lila, this like nobody in Grey London, kind of like can get away with going to this royal party because she speaks English and, like, some of these other, like, kind of funny little things like that. I like whenever um, Astrid at the end disguises herself as Lila and the reason that Kel knows it's not her is because she says please. That's still really risky, though. <laughs> but, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> that also took me a minute. When he was, like, a, when he, like, uh, killed her and I didn't realize that he Knew. realized it wasn't her... I was like, oh, the black, like, stone did something, you know? <laughs> I was oh. just like, maybe it's good that she took his life or whatever. Stone but corrupted it. I thought, yeah, I thought that was going to be, like, part two or second book was, like, fix Kel. But. Oh, that would have been interesting, actually. So did you do any research this week? Okay, I did. I tried to research a bunch of different things, and I kept hitting walls. So oh, no. my research, I... <laughs> it's, like, kind of all over the place. Okay, it was hard to find something to research 
this week. I thought I was I struggled a little bit, but um, okay. What did what did you find? Well, I'll tell you briefly what I found, and you can tell me which one you want to hear a little bit about. So I looked okay. up other places named London. <laughs> I looked. Okay. I tried to look up brother sister uh, royalty pairs, like people who ruled as siblings. But oh, most cool. of that was like incestuous royalty stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I did look up how to bind someone to you. <laughs> and, and I looked up buildings made with bones. <laughs> okay. I really want to know how to bind someone to you. <laughs> you knew I was going to pick that one. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, this is an article written by a psychic. <laughs> okay. Um, and he's, he talks about how there's a bunch of different ways that you can control someone's mind. And, um, he even talked about like psychological warfare and stuff, but, and hypnotism and whatnot, but he outlines this pretty basic spell to <laughs> bind someone to you. And, and when you say bind someone, do you mean like control their actions? Control someone's mind. Is what okay, it's gotcha. okay. So all you need to do is get eight candles and something to light them with. Lighter, matches, doesn't matter. Anything you have. Um, And then to, like, the person you want to control, you have to either have a picture of them or an object that they own. And you wait for the half moon. Okay. (laughs) And then the reason you wait for the half moon is because it's equal parts light and equal parts dark. And it's, like, you and the person that you're trying to cast the spell on. So when the half moon arrives... Sometime during the evening, you gather all your materials, and you place the candles in a circle, but don't light them. Okay. And his advice is to use the cardinal directions to place them. So, like, north, east, south, uh, west, and then northeast, southeast, southwest. All of them. Okay. Whatever one. Yeah, because there's eight candles. Oh. (laughs) And you want to make sure the circle is at least a foot in diameter, and you put the photo or the object you stole into the middle of the circle. I feel like I should be taking notes. (laughs) Yeah. Before you light the candle, you say a certain, this phrase, spirit guides connect my ethereal cord with, insert name of person, let us converge like the moon's light and darkness. May we be one and the same in thought and spirit. And then you light the candles and he throws in a, this may be common sense, but please be sure to do this on concrete or wood if you're indoors. Never do it on a rug or anything that can easily catch fire. (laughs) Good advice. You're also allowed to use candlesticks. It will not affect the spell in a negative way. Um, And then once the light has filled the room, you stand in front of your circle of candles and you look at the object and you should really be concentrating as hard as you can. Don't think about anything else except the person that you're trying to enchant. Whoa. And imagine that they can physically feel you and whisper their name 30 times in a row while focused <laughs> on the object. Can you imagine, like, seeing someone <laughs> do this? Like, if you found out you were, like, casually dating someone and then they told you that they pulled this shit. <laughs> we're not even done yet. Then there's another, like, prayer that you say. I'm not going to say it all. Because we don't really want people to know how to bind others. Yeah. No, I don't want anyone getting any ideas with my pictures out there. Then you blow out the candles, but leave them there overnight, circled around the picture or object. And you're supposed to go to bed and think about the person's face in your mind as you're going to sleep. Oh, my God. And if it works, his, their mind will be under your control no later than sunrise. And if you want to cancel the spell, like 
I, supposedly, a lot of people feel regret or shame after doing this spell. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> if it becomes too intense or seems too dangerous, you need to burn the photo or the object in a fire pit and say a different phrase. We are no longer two as one. I am myself and you are yourself. Your mind is now again your own. And that should break the hold that you have on someone else. <laughs> oh my god. I'm glad he included that because I was just like, how long will this spell last? <laughs> well, I also like, I just stumbled on like some of the, like I was kind of intriguing, but also kind of freaked me out. I stumbled on this list of like, it was like a whole bunch of hexes and curses and binding oh spells. And they all have like, which day you should do it on, which hour, like herbs to use i like they're very like detailed and it's um interesting but i didn't actually dabble in any of these i didn't try any of it out Ooh. oh now i want to go down a, the dark hole of the internet because you know what there's people <laughs> who do believe in this kind of stuff you know well that's what i was trying to find initially was like a story of someone who claimed they had been you know, someone was controlling their mind. Like, I was trying to find stories like that to share, but instead I just found ways oh to hex people. Oh, my God. That... So, so don't mess with me. <laughs> I'm trying to think if you have anything that I own. <laughs> I trust you. You would probably just compel me to read a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> Do all of the editing from now on. <laughs> I'm just that kidding. reminds me of, like, the Italian curse, like the Malocchio. Have you ever heard of that? Like, the evil eye? That people believe yeah, that yeah, yeah. people can curse you. I had a friend who was, like, swears to God that someone put that on her because she was in someone's shop, and she just got a really bad feeling from the woman who was in the store, and she left the store and immediately tripped and fell on the sidewalk. And she was like, oh my gosh, oh my that lady put the evil eye on me. <laughs> well, my sister down in Haiti, like, she's seen people possessed and... Like, a bunch of people practice, like, voodoo down there and whatnot. And, like, she's got some crazy stories about oh my goodness. all that stuff that, like, you wouldn't really believe unless you ex- you were there and experienced it. But it's, like, such a different sure. – I don't know. It's, like, one of those things where I'm, like, I'm not going to uh, mess with it just in case. <laughs> That's probably smart. <laughs> just in case on the off chance that it's really real, I don't want to – yeah. Same with parallel universes. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess with that. Oh, I did look into some scientific theories about parallel universes and how they could exist or what it means if they exist or whatever. Oh, is this like the many worlds theory? Yeah, there's like five different multiverse theories, I guess, out there. Oh my gosh. Um one is infinite universes, which is basically like space time is flat and it reaches out for infinity and because it reaches out so far, eventually things have to repeat, so it would make sense that hmm after enough combinations there would be a combination just like our world or it and also just like our world but off by a couple of molecules and whatnot so like everything would exist eventually because we can only have so many combinations of everything yeah. and there's an, I buy that. another multiverse theory called bubble universes hmm. um which has something to do with i guess after the big bang the universe expanded really rapidly like an inflated balloon okay but there was this guy, Alexander Vilinkin, who worked at Tufts University, who said that some pockets of space stopped inflating and others continued to inflate. And we got a bunch of different, like, bubble universes. And in each bubble universe, the laws of physics and different things may be different. Oh, that's cool. And there's also daughter universes, which is the theory of quantum mechanics. Um, 
You're losing me. <laughs> Quantum mechanics. Quantum me- mechanics is about like probability instead of definite outcomes. You know, like it could be either here or there. And oh, okay. it's basically like all possible outcomes of a situation actually occur, but they all occur in their own universe. So if you, you know, decide to move to China, there's another universe where you decided not to move to China. So like every decision that you make exists in some kind of parallel dimension. Yep. Oh, so there's probably a parallel me who never left Italy and she's still there. There's a probably parallel us that don't read. Oh my god, that's the saddest thing you've ever said. <laughs> I hate that. They really suck. <laughs> I hope we never meet. Oh, there's probably a parallel universe where you've never left Chicago. Oh, there's probably a parallel universe where I never went to Chicago. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's crazy to think about. Well, you also said that you did research about things statues made of bones and i'm curious to know more about that because i like not i don't like but i thought it was interesting that astrid has an entire floor made of bones they kept mentioning it and it was like really creepy kind of so i was sort of like do people actually use bones as a building material (laughs) (laughs) and fun fact they have (laughs) but um like even like really ancient days that actually they used to use bones for a lot of things so um like animal bones yeah okay ice age giant bones Um, like woolly mammoth bones that's cool yeah but then there's also been a lot of people a lot of these stories involve people using skulls to build stuff so i think a couple of the more interesting ones are in 1809 midway through the first serbian uprising against the ottoman empire the turkish general hershid pasha gathered 952 rebel skulls from, I don't know where he gathered them from, but... (laughs) From the rebels. (laughs) He built a tower that was only 15 feet in height, but built out of these skulls to, like, intimidate the enemy. And I guess most of them were removed and given good funerals, but 58 of them are still there because the Serbian government preserved them, so you can still go and see that today. That's so creepy. And then I thought this was even kind of creepier, but there's this old priest, Vaclav Tomaska, who lives in a small Polish village. And he, between the years of 1776 and 1804, he collected a bunch of different skulls and shin bones and whatnot and built this temple using 3,000 skulls. Um, And he said that he was able to get so many bodies. uh, I guess there was like a lot of disease back then and there were a lot of mass graves after the 30 years war but it's just like creepy that like this priest built this chapel out of schools and you can see pictures of it online and it's just like really creepy and his head is there's like a few like important heads i guess in it his was one of them Um, he used his own head (laughs) so when he died his skull was placed on the altar oh okay Oh my and also so next to a skull that was said to have belonged to a giant and others that he had found interesting. And where is this chapel? Somewhere in Poland, a small okay. town in Poland. And it still exists to this day, like you can go see it? I mean, there's pictures of it, so I think that that's like still there today, but maybe, oh, it's, man. maybe it's been taken out. But there's a lot of like other examples of people doing this. Randomly, a lot of things related to churches. There's also this Roman church... Um, that has 4,000 friars underneath it. 
that are like all their skulls and bones are created a bunch of different designs like stars and flowers and whatnot. Wow. I guess that's a little bit better than just using it to like as a wall to intimidate your enemies. But still, like what would compel someone to use bones to make a chapel? Well, it's also just creep. Like it just feels like disrespectful or, you know, like it's one thing to use bones too, but I feel like using skulls is like, It's, it's just, it's a little too personal. Yeah. And there's 6 million people under Paris, like in the, in oh, the like catacombs. in the catacombs. Yeah. And they've started, um, or originally it was just like, there were too many people in the cemetery, so they had to like put the dead bodies somewhere. But at some point they started kind of arranging them also kind of in patterns and different oh kind of goodness. eye-catching ways. That's, that is a little bit, a little bit distasteful because it's like, I don't know. Just let them rest. Like, these people don't want to be made into pretty designs. Like, I don't know. I would be like, leave my bones out of this, please. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm kind of, and again, like, I don't know the whole story behind why they did that. There's another, um, Evora, Portugal. There's another worship area that's built with human remains. And I guess there were some cemeteries that were destroyed during the 16th century and 5,000 corpses, like, had nowhere to go so the monks put them on display and started using them as like a framework um to remind people about death's inevitability and above the chapel doors it says we bones that are here for your bones we wait oh i just got chills i know you should look at some of the pictures like it's like it's kind of kind of cool kind of weird but kind of cool well I'll definitely look up these pictures <laughs> That and how to, and, how, and I'll, I'm going to look up the full prayer for how to bind someone to me. <laughs> oh no, I shouldn't have told you that's out there. <laughs> that was really cool research. What about you? What did you research? Well, I told you I was going to research a little bit about the Mad King. Yes. Okay, good. So I did that. Um, and it was really sad, actually. Because like, we meet the Mad King in the in this first book and he just seems kind of endearing and you know maybe a little bit not all with it but certainly not like malicious or anything like the Danes mm-hmm. and so and I knew that so I knew King George III was the king of England during the American Revolution yep but I didn't really know like why he was called the Mad King or you know what his illness was so they said that there are some people who believe he suffered from a blood disease which is called porphyria where um it's basically like toxins build up in your blood and they affect your nervous system and a weird side effect is it turns your urine blue wait how did the wait what so how does that happen i guess it's just it's a blood disease where like okay. these toxins these porphyrins build up in your body but okay. p- people have some people have debunked this theory and said that the king just had a combination of dementia coupled with some form of mental illness, maybe depression or um, something along those lines. And there are some people that say that his illness was triggered by the death of his youngest and most favorite daughter, who is Princess Amelia. But, I mean, mental illness doesn't need any trigger, so who knows if that played into it. But I did learn that he had 15 children with his wife. Wow. Which is just, that's amazing in and of itself. But it was kind of sad because they said at the end of his reign, he had really extreme depression and melancholy, and he was crying almost every day. And around 1810, the Prince of Wales, um, his oldest son, did act as regent for the rest of his life. 
And this is sad. It said that in 1818, his wife died and he didn't, he wasn't like aware enough to realize that she was dead. And at Christmas in 1819, he spoke straight nonsense for 58 hours. Oh my goodness. I know. It was so, it like kind of broke my heart when I was reading about this because I was like, this poor guy was, you know, he was a king and like, I don't know, he just went, he just had such a sad end to his life. It would be sad even if he wasn't a king, but it was just... Well, it was kind of fun when I was accidentally researching a lot about incestuous royalty. <laughs> there was talk about how, like, uh, in 1700 when Charles II died, but he, he had a bunch of, like, health and developmental problems, and, you know, he didn't talk till he was four, and he couldn't walk till he was eight, and all this stuff, um, a, a lot because he was the result of a lot of uh, genetic and breeding type stuff mm. but they said like yeah that's too bad but also he lived a much better life and a lot longer life than you would expect because he didn't he lived till age 38 and if he had been a peasant or whatever like it was if he hadn't been royalty yeah i was talking about how incest was allowed for like the reasons why it was acceptable for royalty but not other people and part of it was because they could still have a decent life even though yeah they could offer protection and care yeah Oh, that's I don't know. so sad, though. It is, but it just made me think, like, even though he was a mad king, it sounds like he lived, a, he outlived a lot of people, at least, and... Yeah. It was probably better than life as a peasant. Yes, that's probably true. <laughs> um, Keep it in perspective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other thing I researched was, I really liked the scene in the book when they have the, when they go to the masquerade for Prince Rai's birthday. Yes. And I really loved how Lila was looking through the costumes that she needed. And I loved that she, like, picked a man's outfit and she had this really cool, elaborate mask that was really frightening. Um, yes. So I researched a little bit about masquerade balls. Okay. And this I'm really sad Rai missed it. Or, like... <laughs> Rai missed his own birthday party. <laughs> yeah, that he didn't get to experience it. He almost killed himself instead. <laughs> Not a great 20, 20th birthday. <laughs> Anyways, tell me more. Tell me how they're supposed to work or how they came about. This is from allthatisinteresting.com, and the title of this was The Glamorous and Gruesome History of Masquerade Balls. I was just like, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so masquerade balls date back to the 14th century as part of Europe's carnival season, where people would dress up in masks and costumes and celebrate this time of the year. And... They became very popular in France, and they were usually uh, thrown, masquerade balls were thrown to honor special occasions, such as marriages, birthdays, um, coronations, things like that. And so I learned about a couple famous masquerade balls. Okay. So Charles VI of France threw a masked ball to celebrate the marriage of his queen's lady-in-waiting, and that was in 1393. And as part of it, the king and five courtiers dressed up as, quote-unquote, wild men of the woods. <laughs> and they called it um, the burning men's ball or the wild man's ball. And they wore costumes. This is a mistake. They wore costumes that were made of flax and pitch. And in some versions of the story, in one version of the story, the king's brother was trying to see better, so he approached these um, men dressed up like wild men, and he approached them with a torch, 
And since their costumes were made of flax and pitch, oh my they all caught on fire. <laughs> and the king caught on fire, and this fire spread by accident. And then they said that the Duchess of Berry put put the king out with the train of her dress. <laughs> oh my goodness! But in like another version, they say that it was it was kind of like part of the event was these courtiers were purposely trying to dance as close to the torches as they could and they had torches set up all around the dance floor and it was like part of the game to see like how close you could get without your costume catching on fire that's an interesting party game (laughs) yeah exactly it's a it's 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 a lot more of a risk i would say yeah oh my goodness and so then in the 16th century masquerade also wait i'm just nervous (laughs) was it like weird that the king threw his wife's lady-in-waiting a big party? Isn't that weird? I thought that, that was a little weird, too, because I was like, I, I guess I'm not really sure what the status of lady-in-waiting is. I always thought it was just like, I mean, they're not servants. It's like the queen's court? It's like your entourage or yeah. you're like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I guess if you're, because I guess the lady-in-waiting is still a noblewoman, right? So maybe Probably, it's just celebrating yeah. the marriage of a noblewoman. It's like the queen's best friend, so... Yeah. Her girl squad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll I'll buy it. (laughs) Okay. Um, So then in the 16th century, masquerade balls became a little bit more debaucherous and scandalous. Ooh. And they said this is probably because in this time, especially noble women and noble men were bound by really strict rules of how they were supposed to live their life. And so it became... um, very fun for people to take advantage of the anonymity that wearing a mask would afford them. And so it was like a night where they could indulge in, you know, in a night of gluttony and decadence and lust and sin, but you could still emerge from that with your reputation intact. Hmm. Okay. Except I get, I get that in theory, but I feel like <laughs> a mask doesn't really hide anyone's identity. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking, too, because I was just like, uh, you could probably tell who was under there. Or even if, like, also your mask, it's not like everyone wore the same mask. I feel like that would be, <laughs> you know, like, like you'd want, like, your own elaborate, like, out to, like, show, I don't know, but whatever works for them, I guess. Well, they did say that some of the costumes were extremely elaborate to the point where, like, men would sometimes dress as women and women would sometimes dress as men, and it was, like a complete covering transformation of your body so that people wouldn't recognize you. And then they wouldn't, like, see you coming from your house or going to your house? I mean, I just, like, I feel like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, people would recognize your horse and your carriage? (laughs) I feel like if someone wanted to know who you were, yeah, if people wanted to know, or your servants or whatever. I guess it depended on how badly you wanted to act out. Like, if you really wanted a night of sin, you would get, like, fake servants, you'd rent a new horse and carriage... You would, like, make a big, elaborate <laughs> hoax. That's true. I guess I'm also... Did you ever watch the show Gossip Girl? <laughs> no, I have. I don't. Well, there is a masquerade ball in that, and Ooh. someone, like, mistakes basically their girlfriend for another blonde girl. So I guess if that could happen, then anything could happen. If you can't recognize your girlfriend <laughs> because she's wearing a mask, then, like, maybe you won't recognize your neighbor if they're dressed like a woman instead of a man or something. <laughs> your theory that if it happened on Gossip Girl, it could absolutely <laughs> happen anywhere. <laughs> I, just, I, I was just thinking of the, the last 
I also watch a lot of bad TV, FYI. <laughs> oh, did I tell you that I met someone who was on the latest version of The Bachelor? No. I know you're really obsessed with it. With, well, not obsessed. I know you like that show. I, I, yeah. I was at a party and the guy, he was super, super nice. And we started talking because we both discovered that we were Fulbrights. We had the same, we did the same Fulbright uh, teaching assistantship. And oh, then, cool. yeah, but then he mentioned that, but then he was like, mentioned previously that he was on The Bachelor. And so I was like, oh my God, you were a Fulbright? I was a Fulbright, but tell me about The Bachelor. <laughs> and like, we totally like dismissed that we both did this thing, this like teaching assistantships just so I could talk about The Bachelor with him <laughs> and like what it was like being on the show. <laughs> what do you say? I want to know everything now. Oh gosh. He said it was really a really fun time and he just did it because he wanted to do something different and he made it to like I don't know the top 10 and he was and of course like there were some people who were at the party who were like yeah but did you really think you were gonna find love and he was like you know and, and this is such a great answer he was like I think humans are capable of finding connections anywhere and I think that's that true. is just another opportunity to make a connection and I was like that's really a great answer <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I met someone from The Bachelor once at my first Chicago apartment, the one in Old Town, uh, at the pool on the roof. <laughs> oh, see, they're everywhere. There's a lot of they're them everywhere. in Chicago, I guess. They're real people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, so, okay. So, anyway. Back, back to, to masquerades. masquerades. <laughs> um, the other thing that was kind of a problem with masquerades was because since everyone was wearing masks, it was also... It could also be kind of a dangerous situation. So the king of Sweden, Gustav III, he was uh, a king who seized power from his parliament and he tried to restore monarchy as the main source of power. And he was actually assassinated at a masquerade ball. Ooh. Yeah, there was like a, no a nobleman who used his mask to get, to get very close to the king and he shot him in the lower back. And he was able to escape without being identified. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, be careful when you go to a masquerade ball. Especially if your people want to kill you. Yeah, exactly. If they don't have eight candles lying around, then <laughs> they need to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of an interesting background of masquerade balls. It is. So, should I have a masquerade-themed wedding or not? No, I'm just kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh my gosh, please do that. <laughs> I actually really wanted to do that when Chad and I got married because we had two dates that our venue were free was free on and it was either our wedding date that we picked or it would have been Halloween. Ooh. And I mean, I'm like obsessed with Halloween. So I was like, this could be so <laughs> cool. Like everyone could be in costume. And then we were like, no, because we'll spend every anniversary like handing out candy. Oh, that's a, a good, good point. Yeah. <sighs> In a parallel universe, I got married on Halloween, and we all wore masks, and it was awesome, and no one got assassinated. <laughs> it was it was the best. <laughs> and they spelled Bernstein Bears the right way. Exactly. <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. Okay. Should we talk about the next book? Oh, okay. Wait, real quick. Okay. Favorite scene. Oh. I know. I was thinking about this right before we called each other. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think it might be the scene in Rise 
better, but like that whole, kind of like what you were talking about, like seeing the masquerade, seeing Rye being controlled by someone else, seeing Lila come in through the window, like just kind of like everything that was happening mm-hmm. kind of in that part. I don't know. What about you? I was going to pick the masquerade too, because I just love Lila's costume and I really wanted to see like all the people lining up to go to this big parade and the king queen or like in this trance. And I just, it would be a good chance to see really beautiful costumes, I think. Yeah. The other cool thing would be to see a lot of magic. So maybe like Holland and um, Kells, one of their fights, any of their fights, really, even the first fight when Lila came and helped save Kell or yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like when they're using the shards of glass to... Yeah, and like the river and yeah. Or even when like Athos conjures that snake, that big serpent that like turns on him in the end. Oh yeah. That'd be cool to see. That was clever too of Kelda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very clever, sir. Very clever. Okay, well, next book. Should we talk about it? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the second book in... The Shades of Magic trilogy. <laughs> Yay! It's called A Gathering of Shadows, and I will read the back. Black London fell because of magic like this. What horror would it bring to the Londons that remained? To the starving white, or the ripened red, or the defenseless gray? It has been four months since the mysterious stone fell into Kell's possession. Four months since he crossed paths with Delilah Bard. Now, while his own city is caught up in the pageantry and thrills of a cross-empire magical competition, a once-lost London is returning to life, but the balance of magic is ever perilous, and for one city to flourish, another London must die. Oh. And we will read halfway, so up to part six, called Imposters. Gosh, I'm just so so curious to know who the new bad guy is going to be. Yeah, okay, and it was... It might just be magic still. So it's four months later. We know how much time has passed. Oh, good. That's not too much. But what are they... They're talking about a cross-empire magical competition. Does that mean across empires in the Red London world? Or does that mean across Londons? I bet it's the Triwizard Tournament. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, that'll be fun. So there's going to be some magic games. I don't know, but it sounds like there's going to be some cool scenes that I will want to see. And I bet there'll be some new characters, too, if there's going to be, like, a whole host of magical games. Well, since everyone is dead, (laughs) there better be some new characters. There's only three people dead. There's, there's... Fletcher's dead. Oh, Uh, that's true. Fletcher, man. The the guardsman is dead. Like, the guy. I liked him. Yeah, that's true. I did like Rise Guards. All the... Bad guys in White London. Everyone we know in White London is dead. <laughs> That's true. Mm. I'm just saying. I I really <laughs> hope we see more of Rye and Kel interacting because I think they are my two favorite characters. I think Rye's my favorite right now. I want to see Rye and Lila interacting more. I know. I love that he was like flirting with her at the end a little bit. I love how she kind of reacted a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. I love when she was like... What was it when he was like, I'm sorry I stabbed you, I wasn't myself? And she was like, I'm sorry I shot you, I was myself entirely. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) They're fun. They are fun. All right. Tell me a joke, please. Okay, so last week I told you that I had a pirate joke. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, Okay. 
What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? Where's my parrot? I really have no idea. I matey. <laughs> I matey. <laughs> At first I was like, what did he say? And then I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, that's good. I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> oh, I really hope we see Lila as a pirate in the next book. <laughs> I, yeah, I need some more pirates in my life. Pirate princes, pirate princesses, pirate whoever's. Well, we have a long wait until Prince Nikolai comes back. Yeah. <sighs> oh, did you see that? <laughs> We're just so sad about that. Did you see that there's a collector's edition set of these Shades of Magic books? I saw there was a collector's edition of the first one. I didn't realize it was the whole series, though. Is it? Oh, maybe it's just... I don't know. I thought it was the whole series. Oh. Well, that's why... I think I texted you when I was like, I can't decide which version of the book to buy. Oh, and did, did I tell you to get the latest one? No, but the only reason I didn't get the special edition was because it just it like just came out. So I wouldn't have had time to order it and read it before oh. we recorded the first episode. But okay. um, but I really like the art on them. They're really cool. I do too. I, and apparently the special edition has four short stories in it. Oh, okay, we're going to have to get our hands on that somehow. I know. So I have to buy it, I think. I'm going to see if we get more backstory in uh, book two, and then I'll decide if I'm buying it or not. Okay, yeah, here's hoping. (laughs) All right, is there anything else? I don't think so. What about you? No, I think I'm good. I just want to say thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. You can follow us on Instagram if you want, at mnktalkya, or you can send us an email at mnktalkya at gmail.com. The and is spelled out, A-N-D, in both cases. And we're also on Facebook. Reach out to us, bookworms. Yeah, we'd love to hear if you have any stories to recommend or any bad dad jokes to share with us. Oh, yeah. We love our dad jokes. (laughs) Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.